0: You're listening to the Leaving Inside Out podcast, and I'm your host, Tux Arutere. This is episode 17. Thank you for tuning in to the Leaving Inside Out podcast, where we believe in the power of words. Episode 17 is... Words to keep you going when you feel stuck. Hey, hey, hey. You as my African-American friends go, hey, girl, hey. I love it. You guys are just so colorful. In the UK, we just say hello. Just hello. (laughs) How has August been for you? My big thing has been... Okay, two big things. One, it was my father's birthday. He turned 82 this past weekend. And I am so thankful for his life, for his example shape, just for the fact that I had the father that I needed. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Example. He is super disciplined. That's his military background. Extremely smart, intelligent man. He's just brilliant. All rounder. So that was big thing number one. Second big thing is, guess what? I got to wear sandals this week because I finally got myself into the nail bar and I had my lean prize off a layer of my foot. I tell you, it's a whole layer and I'm so sure that I'm shorter than I was the week before. It feels so nice to have manicured and pedicured digits. And let's also add another big thing has been Michelle Obama's podcast. Now, because I love even her voice, I'm not even going to go into it. I'm not going to start talking about it or her because I wouldn't start and we wouldn't get into today's topic. However, in episode two, Michelle Norris, who she interviewed, described her own kids as vampires because they're up all night. <laughs> Listen. Listen the joy i felt at hearing that my kids are up all night as well and i had to make a conscious effort not to feel like i was a bad mom or i had failed at mothering number 4 still has a bedtime because you know he's not he's not even a teenager yet but the teenagers don't my only request to them is please be productive during the day for a few hours and don't talk loudly at night. And that's hard because they're guys. And that whole baritone voice times three in the middle of the night, it's a thing. (laughs) Pray for me, please. What do you say to yourself when you're discouraged and there's no one around? Or maybe there are people around, but they're not even capable of lifting your spirits. I get those days when Sometimes I don't even bother talking about what I'm dealing with because I presume that the words that whoever's around me is going to say to me is not going to be effective enough because this is a big one. And so Evernote is one of my closest friends because you can divide your entries into notebooks. So I have one that I call discouraged and under or in that notebook are various notes to encourage me or to remind me that discouragement will pass. And uh, you can also tag your notes as well. So I have tags on fear, wealth, confidence, and so much more. And so when I need a word, there are mantras, scriptures, or proverbs that I refer to. And I'd love to share some of them with you. My first one, which is not necessarily in any particular order, because it really does depend on what I'm going through in that moment, or I guess what you're going through and what you're going to need. I am the captain of my fate. I first came across this poem when Oprah Winfrey referred to it, and to be honest, it didn't sit well with me. Christians are generally careful to make sure God gets the glory in every area of their lives and my fate was no exception. (laughs) Having been through my fair share of life challenges, I was not about to invoke the wrath of God by declaring that I, and not he, was the master of my fate. So I talked it away and just kind of I didn't dismiss it completely, I just talked it away and thought one day we'll think about this, we'll think honey, we'll read more into it and pretty soon life did begin to show me how I was responsible for the direction that my life took. God had given me the tools, I arrived on earth with them, buried deep inside me and he also surrounded me with the resources I needed in the form of people geographical location, the era that I was born in, and even the laws of the land that were put in place during my lifetime. So our living inside out ethos is that everything we need to live the life we want is inside us. Knowing that I had all I needed meant that God had done his part and the rest was up to me. I would love to read you the full poem by William Ernest Henley, but it's quite dark, so I wouldn't. But I'll give you a brief background. So Mr. Henley wrote this poem when he had reached the end of his tether. In Nigeria, we don't say the end of one's tether. We say, ah, ah, i don't do, which means this is enough. Like, this is too much. <laughs> so he was the first of six kids. He suffered tuberculosis from the age of 12 and spent much of his early years in pain due to the disease. And at 16, he had to have his left leg amputated. Now, I've got teenage sons, and I've been a teenager. And even as an adult, I cannot imagine an amputation of any of my limbs. I know the challenges of simply being that age and trying to fit in, not to talk about losing a leg as well. Although let's be fair, and I <laughs> admit that the sixteen-year-old of the Victorian era had the mindset, experiences, and even the responsibilities of today's thirty-year-old. So maybe he didn't care what he looked like, but still, that was a grave thing to go through at that age. And then he lost his father, and soon after, his right foot also became diseased and. The doctor said that the only solution was another amputation, but he fought that and went on to meet, I think it was Lister, I was reading about this, and famous, famous doctor, if you ever did biology, you'd recognize that name, who I think that it's not very clear, but he did not end up having the amputation in the end. However, he did spend many years on admission in hospital, and it was the combination of his illness, his fate, as it were, you know, the life that he was living, an almost double amputee. And then in comparison to, or should I say against the backdrop of the poverty of the patients in that Victorian time, and just the poverty and the suffering of the people. And just so the poem is a very dark one. It's not one that I have saved anywhere. But the final stanza says, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I see it now as a poem that celebrates human resilience and courage. You know, it's clearly dark, like I said, but if you're going through a dark period, you might draw some courage from it. Being the master of your fate means that you don't have to sit down and wait for things to change. You can get up and change the direction of your life. My second favorite quote is also from a poem actually, and it's called, These Two Shall Pass. This one is one that I have sent to the most people, whether it's been a client that's going through a difficult time or my supplier or business colleagues or friends Once I hear you're going through a difficulty, I send you this poem by Helen Steiner Rice. And I remember when I first read it, I had tears rolling down my face and I was just really summoning all of my strength and using it to press those words into my soul, just trying to get myself to believe that what I was going through at the time, which guess what, I don't even remember, but whatever it was I was going through was going to pass. And it wasn't easy to believe it in that moment, but I repeated it often enough and and began to hope for change and hope for it to pass. But guess what? Life soon taught me that everything passes. We live our lives in seasons. Seasons come and seasons go. And we can all agree That whatever it is you're going through will pass because harvest gives way to planting season and then growing season, which can be challenging because nothing's coming out. Nothing is being harvested. And again, we don't like to wait. Many of us don't like to wait. I know I don't like waiting, but you know, the season is passing and a passing season does not mean that it's going to be reversed to how things used to be, but It might just be that you learn from that experience, or that you'll be able to cope again, or you will grow from it, or you'll smile again, or have another baby, or whatever it is that's causing you to pray for it to pass. This third proverb is by an anonymous source and it's got a German origin. It's begin weaving, and God will provide the thread. I have christened this as my favorite proverb because. I repeat it often to myself, I share it with people, I practice it as well. You know, it's actually one of the proverbs that I don't say just to feel better. It is something I say almost like an instruction to myself when I find that I'm stalling. There is the modern day version, which is, I believe by Martin Luther King, and it says, you don't have to see the whole staircase, you just have to take the first step. I would call these two sayings the entrepreneur's mantra because entrepreneurship is a synonym for risk-taking. Think about it. You believe in an idea that no one else can see. (laughs) There's no evidence or proof that anything's going to come out of it. And yet you throw your might and your money and all of your resources behind this invisible Solution or situation, as it were, expecting it to come into fruition. So, when I come across business owners who, or would be business owners, who stand and stall waiting for a green light, I completely get it. I understand it. And beginning to weave without seeing the thread, which is proof, some level of proof that it will come into being is a step of faith. I can draw from my experience this year alone where I've gone on a number of development, personal development courses and in at least two of the cases, I was convinced I couldn't hack it and yet I did. So I've learned also to be patient with myself because the threads may not show up immediately after you've started weaving. But we know that there is a power and a name that's above every name. So let's not rely on what our eyes can see, but let us trust that there is more beyond the visible. Number four, goodness and mercy shall follow you. You know what it's like when it appears trouble has been placed at regular intervals on your path so that just when you start to exhale at the end of one, a second one shows up. And that's when I came across and adopted this scripture from the Bible, goodness and mercy shall follow you. And I use it to unlearn the lie that I had believed, which was that trouble was following me. And so by meditating on this simple sentence, I chose to embrace the truth that I wasn't being chased or followed by challenges, but I was being chased by goodness and it didn't matter what was happening around me. It didn't matter what it looked like. And also, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a very high chance that you're an achiever, a goal setter, and you're not choosing to let one day roll into the next. And if that's the case, if one day is just rolling into the next and you're not doing much or achieving much, you are not comfortable with it. So let's agree, right? <laughs> because not all achievers kill it every day. The point of goal writing or having a vision board is to give your physical eyes the right food to fist on while you journey through a set of circumstances that is so different from what you actually want. I used to know someone who bought her wedding gown, groom's men's ties, wedding reception decorations, and even the fabric for her bridesmaids' dresses long before she even started dating. It took a long time, but she met her Mr. right and used every single item for her wedding, except the balloons, because they had become sticky and gooey and useless. She was not able to use those. Her purchases were the components of her vision, and that's how she kept her eyes fixed on what she wanted. I believe in the power of words and visions, imaginations, and that your mind is the engine room of your life, whatever you feed your mind is what will be produced in the physical form. However, vision board and positive affirmations notwithstanding, the time does come when you find yourself drawn to the reality of the current situation, as opposed to the beautiful future that you have placed on a board or written down on paper. So what do you do when that reality happens? And that's when this verse, goodness and mercy shall follow you, expanded and held additional meaning for me. So instead of pulling down your dreams and hopes and expectations to meet the current state of affairs, how about you raise your eyes to meet God's promises for you? Your expectations can either be brought low to where you are or raised high to where you're headed. And I know that it's easier said than done. You know, it's like staying up all night and then heading to class in the morning and dozing off, but trying to keep your head from nodding. Or when you're on the bus and, you know, the lull of the movement, you start to doze off. Imagine having to tilt your chin up every time your head nods down. That's exactly what you're going to have to do. Every time you look down, and draw the conclusion that your current situation is your real life. You need to pick your head back up again. And this is a daily and sometimes even hourly practice. Next is one that I carved out for myself, which is, I am not the custodian of your emotions. Ooh, (laughs) that sounds cold, but give me a minute to explain. One of my personal mantras is, I am not the custodian of anyone's emotions. And I'll tell you the background to it. I adopted it when I came to understand that no one is responsible for how I feel but myself. So that knowledge freed me to also not take on the burden of how other people felt. Case in point, a friend had asked my opinion on a domestic issue that she was facing. And I told her what I thought. And then she came back to me and said, hmm, you came across as insensitive. I didn't like what you said, Tokes, You offended me. And my response was, okay. (laughs) Now, my former self would have been horrified that I caused someone else pain. I would have had palpitations as I tried to compose myself externally so that my acting concerned and my worry and my fear would be conveyed as me caring for them. Now, if you are either a people pleaser or a recovered one, hopefully you've recovered, you've, you've, you've been saved and delivered from that, you'll understand this fully. Because I understood that she was unhappy with the response I gave But she also wanted me to take ownership for her unhappiness. In other words, I was to take responsibility for the discomfort she felt from my opinion. But I didn't own up to anything and I didn't apologize because her emotions belong to her and what she does with them is her responsibility, not mine. Listen sis, it has been a long journey coming to this point. And I'll be honest and say that the first time that I did this in this particular scenario, I looked way calmer on the outside than I did on the inside. Everything in me was fighting this new version of myself because I really just wanted to make her happy. I wanted to make her feel better. But then I knew that if I kept retreating and going back to who I used to be, I would never grow. So I had to embrace the discomfort and just deal with it there and then. I have gotten better with practice. And this is not to suggest that we're not capable of causing pain or hurt or that we don't, because we do. But there are situations where you are being authentic and honest, but the recipient just isn't pleased with what you have offered. There's often a level of manipulation involved when someone tries to make you guilty for sharing your opinion. Don't fall for it because it's toxic. More about toxic friendships in episode 12. There are some scenarios that you may <laughs> be made to carry the weight of someone's disappointment. For example. Your mother-in-law instructs you on how to raise or advises you on how to raise your own child. And this is where you respectfully acknowledge her wisdom and respectfully decline. Now, how she responds following your amicable response or how she feels is not for you to soothe. It's up to you if you want to do that, but life has taught me to not be responsible for how people feel except I go out of my way or I deliberately go to, you know, hurt them. I guess it's all common sense and, you know, looking at every case on its own merit. Number seven is a question, ooh, what's holding you back? There are powerful questions that begin a wave of self-awareness and change. What's Holding You Back is one of my favorites and Valerie Burton also has a book by that title which is why one of the reasons I would say that this question has just stuck in my head. I happened on this one when I began to recognize that my emotions were driving my actions. Episode six is all about emotional decision making and it's a good one to listen to again. Many of the obstacles I was convinced I had turned out to look like obstacles because of the feeling that I had attached to them. For example, I would make a decision to preserve my sense of self if I felt vulnerable, and often that decision moved me away from the goal in question. So when I ask what's holding me back, I do so with my pen poised to write in my journal. And last night was brilliant because I did that. And I came away with five habits and mindsets that I didn't really notice. I'll be honest, like it's just been there and I've never really paid attention to it. But exposing them made my path so much clearer and energized me to have one of the best ever starts to my day today. The reason you want to get Quiet and ask this question is because what you think or assume is holding you back may not even be the thing when surveys are carried out among startups, startup businesses or new business owners. the question is always asked or usually have <laughs> not haven't come across a business survey without this question. What's your most challenging thing in business, or what do you find the most challenging? Where do you need the most help in? The first answer is almost always funding. And funding is no doubt needed in business, but I believe the right mindset will take you further than a million bucks ever would. There are countless, highly successful businesses that started without funding, which would have been welcome, maybe made life so much easier, maybe even make the business grow quicker. But many of these men and women used mindset over funding. My favorite example in the world is Sarah Blakely of Spanx. And just so you know, she is one of my top three inspirational women. And (laughs) I haven't got a lot of time. I wasn't going to do this, but I have to. I have to. Sarah started Spanx with $5,000. When she went to a trademark lawyer to have her product patented, he announced his fee of (laughs) $5,000, but she knew she'd need a physical product to sell. So, you know, I'm not going to give you all my money, have a patent and not be able to do anything with it. So she went to the bookstore, bought a DIY template, wrote her own copy, paid him 500 bucks to read it for, you know, authenticity, error, whatever it is, all of the legal stuff and sign it off. And he did. That's called creativity. But you see, there are people who would have shut the door and gone back to selling fax machines at the sound of the lawyer's fee. And when you ask them why they didn't take off or start the business that they were so passionate about, the answer's gonna be, I didn't have the money. I had to pay the lawyer $5,000, which would mean I'll have nothing to produce or market with, and therefore I'm not even going to bother starting. And get this, when Sarah finally got into Neiman Marcus, which is a major department store, and they agreed to stock Spanx in five states, she got her friends in those five states to go in, (laughs) ask for Spanx, and when they show it to them, they were to respond, (gasps) oh my goodness, I've been looking for this everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. And then they would buy it and then she'd send them the money. She was using her money and her friends to drum up interest within these stores so that they'd see it as a hot item desperately wanted by people and they would promote it and increase its feasibility. I could go on and on. I would love to tell you about when she took her product to the checkout and taped it there pretending that it was meant to be there as an impulse buy, but I wouldn't. So I urge you to read her story or better still, watch it because she's a great storyteller and you'd also enjoy her energy as well. I've left a link to a video in the show notes so what's holding you back is a question that will take you beyond giving a bog standard answer like i didn't have money or i need money or my husband doesn't support my business or no one to look after the kids or i can't give up my day job what's holding you back will help you strip away the lies and expose the truth which is that you have power inside you. And that power is wrapped inside your gift. And you can excel and play bigger. As always, recording this has been fun. I hope you picked up a gem or two or three. (laughs) If you're yet to subscribe, you can do so wherever you're listening on any podcast app. I need to get my YouTube channel up so that it's also available on YouTube. And I'm going to Assign son number four or three to do that for me this weekend. So you'll be able to head on to YouTube to listen there as well. I will love a five-star rating on Apple podcast app or wherever you can shout out because ratings and shares and comments, that's all the good stuff that help others to find us. And I'm also sociable at my name, first name and surname Toksa Rotary. Have an amazing rest of the week and make sure you leave from the inside out. Talk to you soon.